Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. And today, my guest is the one and only Ella Harris. What can I tell you about Ella? Well, she's an all-rounder, or as she puts it, an all-wheel drive with a diesel engine. Sounds a little bit familiar. Um, she can do everything but sprint. Um, she won the 2018 Swift Academy, which earned her a pro contract with Canyon SRAM. She's a proud New Zealander, and she has since moved to Girona, where she has some very interesting neighbours who might actually warrant a search warrant. Um, keep listening to find out a little bit more about that. This kiwi likes kiwis, but I tell you what, it's not any kind of kiwi fruit I've ever experienced in my entire life, and that includes my childhood. That's a weird thing to say, but let's leave it in. Okay, and she sometimes leaves her toilet rolls in the supermarket. So, without further ado, stick your feet up, kick off your jandals, which apparently is kiwi slang for sandals, relax, and enjoy the Ella Harris episode. <laughs> you know it's that time again, Ella Harris shot to international attention when she claimed victory at the Zwift Academy in 2018. It was a genuinely life-changing moment for Ella, who signed a pro contract and moved to Girona pretty much overnight. This season, however, has been a little stop-start in terms of racing, and we spoke in mid-June as she was preparing for a first race after receiving surgery for an injury. Was she daunted by the re-baptism of fire that awaited her, known as the Mont Ventoux Challenge? Did she invent the spatula? And will her hometown of Dunedin ever acknowledge her as their unofficial ambassador? There's only one way to find out, folks. Check it out. Ella, thank you very much for joining us. Finally on, our, on, uh, on the Matt Stevens Unplugged podcast. How the devil are you? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm great, actually. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I thought I was going to be on this a while back, but no, the day finally has arrived. So it's quite exciting. I do like this podcast, so it's good to be here. Oh, thank you. No, that's very, very kind of you. I mean, it's probably worth putting into perspective before I ask you the opening question um, about where are you and what can you see immediately around you. You were supposed to be on this podcast best part of six weeks ago, but just before the Giro, and then and then you had a bit of a bump. How how, how are the injuries? Yeah, I had uh, surgery instead of coming on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, yeah my, my schedule was unfortunately uh, blocked that day. Yeah, um, unanticipated turn of events, but I'm good now. Yeah, uh, my hip's coming along nicely and I'm back on the road, going to be racing next week. So yeah, everything's uh, getting back on track again, slowly but surely. So it's all, oh, that's yeah, cool. it's all good. So, so what, what, just to fill people in, what exactly happened? Um, uh, you were racing, were racing in Belgium, weren't you? Yes, I was at um, Bruges de Panne, which is a Belgian race, quite notorious for crashing, um, yeah. big bunch crashes, but actually I just crashed by myself, so, so that's right, irrelevant. Okay. Um, right. Yeah, I just I just happened to hit like a, um, a slight difference in surface on the road and my wheels just got caught out and I immediately went down. I had no time to react. It was just, yeah, straight on my hip. So it was oh, a bit unfortunate, yeah. but... Yeah, we're bouncing back from that. It's in the past. Good stuff. No, you've got to keep looking forward. But that the sport that we are we're in. I mean, me less so now because 
uh, most of my cycling um, is just done sat in a chair talking about other people cycling. So I, I, I don't, I don't crash as much as quite as much as I used to. But that's a safe way to do it, though. It's definitely the safe way to the do best it. Best of both or, worlds, yeah. Yeah, but but you, you're you're going to be fine. Uh, but it, and it's great to have you back on the pod, and I'm glad that you're well on the road to recovery. I've been following your progress on Instagram, and I know a lot of people have too. So it's just good to see you back racing. What actually, what is going to be your first race back, Ella? <laughs> Every time people um, people ask me that, I just laugh because it's the most ridiculous comeback race you can possibly imagine. Do you want to have a guess? Maybe you can have a guess. Just think about the really tough races that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. It's also a male race. So, yeah, there's a male um, uh, field as well. So that's a little bit of a hint for you there. Um, I'm trying to think because we've had all the classics, um, most of the classics. Um, I don't. You have it's, to tell me because I've got, I've got a compl- I've, and also I'm, I'm also, I've had two coffees in rap back to back coffees. So my mind's I, I can only think at super high speed. So I don't. All my thoughts are just moving around really, really quickly. So I can't think. Okay. Um, yeah. So or, or I could fire up pro cycling stats, but it says no races on program. I know that's not true. So tell me. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a bit of a left field one, so I'll I'll let you away with not being able to guess it. But it's okay. the uh, the Mont Ventoux challenge. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> Could you my do gosh. a better race to uh, rejoin the peloton in? I'm not oh. quite sure. I think it's going to be fabulous. Flipping. So you're okay. So I'll ask you the opening question of the podcast in a few moments' time because we can't not talk about this race because I mean it's got a nice Swift link as well. Obviously, Von exactly. is, yes. is on Swift now. I remember well; it's it's etched into my memory actually. Um, Ella, a few years ago, must have been 2018. I got an email from the folks at Swift saying, "Do you want to come and ride Mon Von Two? Um, and it's I've never <laughs> ridden it before, so I thought, okay, great stuff. So I answered the email, the book my travel. Holly came along with me as well, um, and then. The day before, I think we travelled out. Um, I read another email, and it was. I'm worried about where this is going. But yeah, continue. and it said, um, yeah, that the ride is three times up Mont Ventoux. So I was completely unprepared for riding three times up. So we went up three different directions, and I was honestly destroyed. It was up. I thought it was just going to be a cafe ride once up Ventoux, yeah. down the other side, and then coffee and wine for a weekend. But oh <laughs> my god, I was absolutely. So your race, are you doing three the three sides as well? I think we maybe do one and a half. We go up That's for enough. a while, then there's a yeah. little descent. So I'm looking yes. forward to that part. And then yes. it's up up again for, yeah, I think the race is 100K in total with 2,600 metres of elevation. Oh so seeing gosh. as I'm just getting myself over Alice Angels and Girona at the moment, which is quite, a, quite an easy climb, I'm not holding out much hope for myself, but... It'll be an experience regardless. Like I've never been up Mont Ventoux before, so <laughs> I'm just looking yeah. at the positives. I'm almost treating it like a grand fondo. So I think that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's, you, you'll be absolutely fine. I mean, uh, but and, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. But yeah, what a what a baptism to get back into racing. Hey, blow. <laughs> no, 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 I think the best thing to do, as you as you always do, you always wear a, a smile on your faces, laugh. Although inside you're p- probably crying. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't just, laugh, you cry. That's my motto. Exactly. So. 
Hello, it's present day Matt Stevens here. That's if you're listening to this podcast fresh. Anyway, Ella has since raced the Von 2 Challenge, and I asked her to record a very brief voice message to let me know how she got on. Hi, Matt. I'm just filling you in on what I've been up to since we recorded this podcast. So shortly after, I went to Mont Von 2 and I survived. I got up there actually pretty well. I think I finished in a respectable position. I did my teamwork, well I tried my best anyway, and then at the bottom of Mont Ventoux, I said see you later to the peloton and chugged my way up and I was picking off a few people towards the top uh, and I think I finished in the, the top half of the race. So I think the people behind me, they probably need to take a good hard look at themselves because I wasn't very fit. I only had six weeks training under my belts. <laughs> so maybe that says, says a bit about the competition in the race. And they also asked her for a brief update about her racing season since we spoke. But I didn't expect to receive a nine-minute mammoth voice message which went into great detail about almost everything under the sun, starting with her experience at the Tour de Suisse. Anyway, then after that, I went to Tour de Suisse, which comprised of a very hilly criterium. Then she went on to talk about racing with junior men. That I discovered that I was actually racing with the junior men as the elite woman go with. Then she went altitude training. Altitude feeling very sluggish and very slow when I came back down to sea level. Then she was off to the Commonwealth Games. The staff were so friendly and they brought lots of New Zealand goodies from home including pineapple lumps, jet planes, my favourites. And you couldn't help yourself having a cheeky dig at the Aussies. Exciting, but the Australians weren't having a bar of it. They were destined for a sprint. Regardless if they had an Australian in the breakaway or not, they were chasing everything down. Then she was off to the tour of Scandinavia without much sleep. I wasn't feeling the greatest, and when you're not feeling good, you tend to get into quite a, a negative a negative spiral. And she unfortunately suffered a bout of food poisoning. We won't mention the food poisoning that I got at the buffet from the chicken stew, which meant that before stage five, I'd been up since 4am and had been... Then she spoke about upcoming racing, including the World Championships. Unfortunately, it's self-funded for New Zealanders, so I'm looking at 4,000 euros at least, so I'm not entirely sure if I want to spend that. If I'm not there, I will have bought a car or done something else with that $4,000. So if I don't do the road worlds, then I might do the gravel worlds, or I might just do both. We shall see. But as far as I'm concerned, the season is still long, so I'm looking forward to getting stuck into a few more races and making up for lost time, because I seem to be on quite positive trajectory right now. So I'm looking forward to getting a bit more fitness under the belts and really making the most of these next few races coming up. Cheers. Whoa, that was intense. What an absolute superstar. Now, let's go back to our chat in mid-June when we didn't know any of this. Yeah. Well, well, let's just briefly rewind a couple of minutes. So where, just to explain to everybody where in the world you are and what can you see immediately around you, just so we can set the scene nicely. Oh, so I'm in my apartment in Girona, Spain. Yeah. I'm sitting at my IKEA kitchen table. I do Ooh, like nice. this table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, directly in front of me is the kitchen. I can see my mocha pot that I really should have let soak before I joined this podcast, but that's a job for afterwards. Your, your um, mocha pot? The mocha yeah. pot? What's a, what's a mocha pot? For morning coffee. Like oh, an right, Italian okay. mocha pot, yeah. So it's just ah. sitting over there. I can eye it up. Um, behind me, I have the doors that lead to my very tiny Spanish balcony. 
And okay. actually, this is a slight tangent, but if I just crane my neck, I can see what can only be best described as the uh, delivery drop-off window, which is this window directly across from me in another apartment, bearing in mind I'm on the fourth floor. So okay. there are like apartments directly across from me, maybe like 10, 15 meters or so. So there's this window, right? And every so often, there's um, one of the residents of the apartment opens the window and drops mysterious packages down to, the, <laughs> down to the street below. Now, I'm not wanting to draw conclusions as to what they may be, but it's quite sinister. So that's, yeah, that keeps me occupied from time to that's time. That's quite waiting, so, waiting for the window to open. <laughs> wow. So it, it sounds like it could be the start of a, of a, of a Girona-based th- low-budget thriller, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, it's quite exciting. Sometimes so, I stay up at night a bit too late just waiting for the window to open again. It, it does sound like a little bit Hitchcockian. It could be a, like a movie entitled The, um, I don't know, Reluctant Stakeout or something like that. You are, <laughs> you are essentially quite... Possibly a reluctant witness, although you do seem to exactly. quite like engaging in it. It's just very strange. Yeah, I, so I took a video of it the other day and my parents were quite concerned because <laughs> I had the lights on and they could have seen me. So they were thinking that, you know, maybe I might get assassinated or something or murdered across the street just because I'm in on the uh, I'm in on what's going on over there. But Blimey. Okay, yeah. things are getting a little bit out of hand. We're only seven, we're only seven minutes into the podcast. Let's not. Okay, so let's right stake out aside. You've uh, you've you've been um, you've been in Girona for well since you pretty much straight after winning the Swift Academy, haven't you? And and how yeah. and how, it, and how is life there? Because when you think about, um, I mean, people listening to this podcast will know that you won the Zwift Academy, et cetera, and you moved across from New Zealand, lock, stock and barrel. Uh, you're in year four now, am I, am I right? Yes, of, uh, year of being, four, yeah. being with, with Canyon Shram. So how, how is, generally speaking, um, Ella, how, how is Girona life, Spanish life? It's really good. Um, I didn't have much of a say as to where, uh, as to where I moved when I came to Europe. They just told me to move to Girona and there was an apartment here and yeah I've been here ever since and I think it's probably the best place to be because there are lots of New Zealanders here lots of Australians just lots of expats and yeah. cyclists in general and there's been an enormous growth in the amount of people that have been here even since I moved here it's just uh, the population of cyclists is just going up exponentially um, which is getting a little bit much sometimes like you just want to go to the supermarket and be in peace and go to the cafe and not see anyone that you know, just, you know, go about your daily business, but you're always going to bump into somebody and there's always going to be like a group of tourists uh, riding down the street the wrong way or just annoying you a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's good here. The Spanish lifestyle is very relaxed. The food is good. The riding's good. So yeah, I can't really complain too much. Well, just a quick one, just, you know, on, um, I've spoken to numerous people, obviously based in Girona, because as you said, it really is um, a hotbed of, 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 of professional cyclists. And I'd say it'd be, be for multiple reasons. And I've been there a few times. I actually, I think I came to your apartment when we first, we did a video with Zwift many, well, a couple of years ago now. So I think you're in a different apartment now though, aren't you? I'm actually in the same one. I You're in the same out. one? Yeah. Oh, right. I, okay, need, right. I need to move. I need to find right. my own place. It's, no a nice, it's, it's a nice apartment, though. It is a nice one, but maybe yeah. because of the, uh, for the reason that you described a few moments ago, which you won't repeat for fear of um, reprisals, um, that might <laughs> be a good reason to go. Um, but just on the point of being in a place with lots of people, 
it did appear that that situation, from my perspective, looking at your Instagram, did appear to to help you out because I believe you went shopping the other day at a local supermarket and you left your <laughs> toilet roll. You left your toilet roll behind, didn't you, Ella? Yeah, and I didn't get it back. <laughs> you, you didn't get it back. I thought no. somebody found it and then gave and, and, and reunited with your loo roll. Yes, they did. Like um, my friend Zippy, he was behind me in the supermarket line because I happened oh, to right. see him at the supermarket, and then he sent me the selfie with my kitchen towels, um, yes. and said, "You might have left these behind." And then I never got them back from him. He just went off into town and never to be seen again. He's run off with my kitchen towels. I did say that he could have them, though. It was a, a donation from the kindness of my heart. So, I yeah, I had to go out and buy some more. But yes. So that that's a, you. So so Zip, Zippy, the the toilet roll fugitive. We could rename him, uh, couldn't we? Really? But sorry, that, that's that very did stri- accurate. <laughs> Indeed. So toilet rolls and the moving apartments to one side. Um, a lot's happened over the last few years. It's been an incredible, and I don't I don't like to use the word journey, but I will in this case because it, it, there's been a literal journey for you. And um, yeah, it is you, quite you've a had, journey. Yeah, you've had you've had your ups and downs, but looking back over the last last four years and now you've got um, a, hopefully uh, an enjoyable part of the season to come with all crashes behind you but what what do you think you, you've changed haven't you a lot you're still this effervescent hilarious person um, or oh, I really love for like like following the progress of but when you sit down in moments of reflection which you've had a fair few opportunities to do that over the last couple of years um, how do you now perceive yourself how, have you, how much have you changed over the last four years Oh, I'm not really sure, actually. I think I've probably matured quite a bit. I'm a lot yeah. more worldly because yeah. when you live in New Zealand, it's a bit hard to be like that. You don't yeah. really know, you don't really know too much of the world. So coming over here, it really opens your eyes to different things. And yeah, so I think because of that, um, I have a greater awareness for certain things, um, greater understanding. I know a bit more about everything in the world and how cycling works and how everyday life works over this side of the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I've just generally just grown as a person. That's very cliche, but yeah, just, just become a bit more open-minded and a bit more worldly, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think, think that goes a long way. Oh, massively. I mean, this, we'll, we'll touch more on, on the sporting side of things in a minute, but I think one thing that you, you can never shy away from or it's easy to forget ultimately is because you're so busy caught up in in the professional world of cycling and everything that goes with that the travel the training the, the rest uh, that, that you need as well um often it's it's easy to overlook isn't it how important a um a personal journey is and when i when i lived in france for a few years back well, it's gonna be 30 years ago i didn't i didn't really think about it until it it was over and i looked back and thought wow you, you learn a lot without really knowing. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and I think culturally for you, moving halfway across the world, um, and did you, did you struggle with that at first, with, with the big cultural shift, or did you just get on with it? Is there, was there moments where you thought, this is, I've, I've bitten off more than I can chew? Or for you, was it, no, this is, I'm loving this. It's just uh, experience after experience, and you got stuck in. Were there any problematic moments for you? No, I think I just took it all of my stride, really. I think looking back on it now, it was quite the journey that I undertook. I think I was 19 and I'd um, go into the Zwift Academy finals. That was my first time in Europe. So that was in December. And then the next 
January, so one month later, I then moved to Europe for the first time. And I didn't know anyone in Girona. I was just given some flights from New Zealand to Barcelona. And then I had to get myself from Barcelona to Girona. And anyone who's taken that journey knows that it's a little bit convoluted. It's not the easiest. And then I just let myself into the apartment in Girona, stayed here by myself for a week, and then went off to team camp and slowly began to meet more people and become a bit more integrated into Girona and get used to it here. But yeah, I just sort of did what I had to do. I didn't really think too much about it or um, think that it was overwhelming. I just did it because <laughs> that just seemed like what I had to do. That that was just what I had to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, looking back, I think even though there are so many more people in Girona now that I know, um, there are, and there are a lot of people moving here. I think people moving here, they tend to have a bit more of a support network coming over or they reach out to people and they get a lot more help. And when they move here, they have a lot of people helping them. Whereas I'm quite stubborn. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to like let you, let anyone know that I'm coming. I'm just going to do it myself, sort things out myself. So yeah, I think it's probably part of my nature really to be quite independent like that. Yeah. And, and what about the team um, itself? Can you, I'd like to know a little bit more about how the team ticks. Funnily enough, when I was at the Giro the other, the other week in Hungary, I met up with Beth, Beth Dury. Oh. Um, uh, yeah. And we had a, we had a really she nice gets around, doesn't she? she does indeed. She had a, a few days off and we, we had a coffee in, uh, in beautiful Budapest, actually. Oh. And, we did, and we did talk a little bit about you, actually. Um, and it was, it was all, all lovely. Um, yeah, but, good. <clears throat> in, in ter- of course it was. I mean, but in terms of the way the, um, what I'd like to know is, is especially given the, the, the fundamental shift and the re- remarkable change in the in the women's peloton, in the men's peloton too, as well. The way things, the way racing is is evolving, the new riders coming in and and rewriting the rule books of the way things are racing. Um, the way the women's scene has changed since you've become a professional and you're still very very young is in, is enormous. But so, in the way that <clears throat> how what my question is in a very convoluted way. How are you? How are you coached? Actually, it was was what the question was. What what is the score? Who who looks after you from the team perspective? Do you have an external coach, or who looks after your program and and your and your planning and preparation for the events you've, you've got? Um, so I'm coached by uh, Stephen Gallagher from Dig Deep Coaching, and I, I was know, coached. I know Stephen. Yeah, yeah, he wrote oh, for my team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. I do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told him I was going to be on a podcast today. I should have uh, should have told him which one it was. You should um, have because Stephen rode for Sigma Sports, the team that I, I used to run. So yeah, uh, it's a small world. Isn't <laughs> it, it is a small world, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so he's coached me since last year, uh, and then this year his coaching company, Dig Deep Coaching. So basically, him and uh, his other coach, or the other owner, Dan Fleeman, yeah. uh, they joined Canyon SRAM as part of the coaching team. So actually my coaching is now very integrated into the team because I was okay. coached by them beforehand and then they joined the team this year. So they they knew what I was about and the team could see what training I'd been doing before that with them and now they basically uh, manage the coaching side of the team. So it makes it very easy for me. So th- they manage like what races I do with the team and they talk to the other team staff, like uh, the DSs and yeah, it's just makes things very easy. Like there's no um, lapse in communication or breakdown anywhere because yeah, my team coaching and my individual coach is one and the same. So it works out really well for me. And are you, 
a good subject, Ella, would you say? Would you like to coach you? Oh, definitely not. No. <laughs> Why's that? No. Why's that? Oh, I think I'm a lot of work. I'm a bit of a head case, I think. I think I overthink things and then I am terrible with actually sticking to the training. Like I just go way too hard on a daily basis. Like, right. I don't think I don't think there's any ride where I haven't gone over TSS or gone dramatically over the intensity factor that's been uh, that's been put into my program. So yeah, I'm probably a coach's worst nightmare, but Stephen somehow manages to deal with me. I think that's probably because he's in Perth now. So there's a bit of like a time zone difference, geographical okay. difference. So he can sort of like keep distance, you know? <laughs> right. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Riding too hard, isn't it? I mean, there's some riders that I don't like doing particular, but, but you, you like going out and knowing that you've ridden your bike. Is, is that, that be fair to say? Yeah, exactly. But then sometimes I also get scared when I see a really hard session on my training. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Like I have one of those tomorrow actually on my TT bike and I don't think I'll be able to do it. So going hard scares me, but then I just end up doing it anyway and going harder than what's even prescribed. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but my head's a bit all over the place sometimes with the mental side of things. So, um, yeah, cause that's such a, a massively important side of coaching is not just here's your plan and then you go and do it and, and download the data. I think a lot of a lot of people might imagine that um, it's as simple as just a set of spreadsheets and you you, die, you you put the program into your phone or in or into your head unit and off you go. But the, it's the the mental side of it is just cannot be overlooked at all. I mean, and how? So what what what's your relationship like with Stephen and the rest of the team in in relation to that sort of thing? Are, are you? Um, you're clearly somebody who is able to motivate themselves, but what are what are your thoughts on the importance of that two-way dialogue and flexibility within a training program? I think it's really important. Um, when you start out cycling, I think you tend to have a coach that's not so involved. They do yeah. tend to do that spreadsheet kind of style, like here's your program, get to it, and then contact me if you have any questions. But then as you become more involved in the sport, I think it's – incredibly important to have a coach that you can actually like relate to and have a bit of a relationship with and communicate whenever you need to and I think you tend to go like you tend to progress with the level of coach that you have so initially you start out with something that's a bit more distant and then as you get more involved in the sport um, and now at the level that I'm at I think that I've sort of had a a gradual trajectory towards having a coach like Stephen when where I can contact him whenever I want and he's always actively looking at my training and giving me feedback and it's almost constant communication which I think is sure. yeah really important because the sensations on the bike they change daily and it's always good to have reassurance or ask questions and adapt things if need be so, yeah, I think uh, it's it's really good being able to just yeah have a have a full on coach, I guess. Yeah, I mean the the amount of information and, and data that you've got available these days. I mean, uh, I'm a little bit out of the loop, but I, I guess there's far more understanding. I mean, when I was when when I was training, there's some days or, or racing. Some days I didn't know why I wasn't feeling good, and then some days I didn't know why I suddenly felt so strong either. Um, and and there, and I didn't really have any coaches, so you were just. But I think it was the same for everybody. You were kind of fumbling the, your, your way through training and racing, um, just trial and error. But um, how how is the te 
are, are you good with the technological side of things and, and the, the scientific advances? Because there is so much data that you can trawl through now to look at, to try and explain reasons. But I guess there's, there's still so much mystery, isn't there, in relation to how you perform and why you perform at certain times. And then sometimes you don't have it and you just don't know why. Yeah, I don't really look too much into the data. I mainly just look at my watts, my heart right. rate, and also my uh, core body temperature, actually. That's quite um, a new one, isn't it? That's becoming yeah. more popular, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, that's really good because then you can work out why you've bonked completely uh, when you're on Zwift because then you realize, oh, my body temperature is at like 40 degrees and <laughs> I'm about to start like imploding from the inside. Um, so that's quite a useful one. Um, and then also uh, Super Sapiens, which is like um, managing your – it monitors your glucose levels in your blood. Yeah. So you can see when you basically don't have enough carbs on board. So I like to use that as well. And then I guess the other – big technology that people like to use is something similar to a whoop band. I don't yeah. have one of those personally. They look really good though. I think yeah. yeah, that's something that I would like to get into, but then I also know that if I haven't had enough sleep, I'm just not going to feel very good in general. Yeah. I mean, this morning I didn't feel very good. That's because I went to bed at midnight and I woke up at seven. So I could sort of work that one out for myself. Um, yeah. But then also it's, I think it's important to have a coach who can connect the dots for you and make conclusions as to why you might be feeling that way when you don't know yourself. Sure. Like, yeah. for example, coming back from this injury, I had had five weeks of doing absolutely nothing. And then I think I did one week of maybe three hours and then five hours and then 14 and then 22. And I built it up really fast, which was what the plan was. But then during some of those weeks, I might have gone particularly hard on a certain ride and then the next day I'd feel absolutely terrible and I wouldn't be able to do the next session that I'd have prescribed. And sure. Stephen would be like to me, yeah, like <laughs> little wonder, of course that was going to happen. And he'd be able to give me the reasoning behind that and then he'd change my training for the next day or the day after that and then I'd wake up that morning thinking, oh, like I thought yesterday I might be able to do the session today but – no, Stephen was right. Like, I still don't feel like I'd be able to do it. So, yeah, I think having that external um, influence is, is really good as well to helping to understand why you're feeling the way that you do and then, yeah, adapting according to that. Um, as you are a listener um, to a few episodes of the Matt Stephen podcast, we always have a hometown quiz. So I think it's time to kick things off for the Dunedin quiz. Oh, I'm so excited about this. I hope I'm like, you are. Yo, yo, what's up? You're ready? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Dunedin quiz. <laughs> I do love, I do, the, my favorite bit of, of, of the jingle is the little squeaky bit, like a dog toy. I love that bit. I don't know where you get, it's just great. What do you think of the, the jingle? That was, yeah, that was fabulous. I think that squeaky noise reflects Dunedin rather nicely, actually. And, <laughs> and in fact, you nailed the pronunciation. Some people go for a bit of a Dunedin, Dunedin, but Dunedin, yeah, perfect. Dunedin. I've never, um, I've come across the word before because I have heard it, but I've never heard it said. It just felt natural. So that, yeah, that's, that's, that's well quite done. good. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Well, okay. So, but you're, can we just set the record so you're not from, you're from Kashmir, you were born in Kashmir Hills, weren't you? 
Uh, I was born in Christchurch. Yeah, Cashmere Hills is, is where I lived. It's a suburb in, uh, I think my pro cycling stats says Cashmere Hills. <laughs> it's it like does. a suburb. It's a suburb in Christchurch. It's really quite funny. It makes me sound quite exclusive from the Cashmere it Hills. It does. It, it sounds like, um, again, it sounds like it could be a Netflix series, Cashmere Hills 90125 or something <laughs> like that. <It's- laughs> Um, anyway, because it does sound quite quite middle class and posh. Yeah, doesn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, it, exactly. I like it. I like that yeah, sort of style, it, that vibe. It's quite it's quite an exclusive feel to it. So, yeah. um, but I lived I lived in the Kashmir Hills until I was fourteen, and then we moved to Dunedin. But Dunedin definitely feels like home now. I'm almost I would consider myself the unofficial ambassador of Dunedin. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'd better nail these questions. Uh, well, okay. Well, the pressure's on because um, I tell you what I did quite like. I was. On your Instagram, um, you say in your there we go. I'm just clicking onto it now. In your on your bio, you actually do say, "What do you say?" Here it is. So, uh, 23 year old kiwi, and then and then an emoji of of a sliced kiwi, which makes me feel um, like I want one actually because I do eat my kiwis like an egg. Do you? How do you eat your kiwis? I go for the gold one because it's um, a bit more expensive, a bit more bougie, but it doesn't have the fur on the outside, so then I can just eat the whole thing. So you have a – hold on a minute. Whoa, let's just what, just roll back a bit. What, what, what are you talking – a golden kiwi? Yeah, there are two types. There's the green kiwi fruit and the golden kiwi fruit, and the gold one is a bit more expensive, but it's the smooth one on the outside, and when you open it, it's gold rather than green. I, did I, did you, you just, not know you this? Just, you just blow my mind. Is it, uh, Again, I, I, I'm coming – coming to expect this because you come from Kashmir Hills obviously posh you get posh kiwis yeah yeah exactly. I've never heard of a golden kiwi flipping heck you don't Sorry, know your I, kiwi fruit very well then no, there I are don't. two types you can get both types at the local supermarket here in Spain sometimes they're from New Zealand sometimes they're grown in Italy but the patent for them is from New Zealand yeah Zespri well, New Zealand there well, you there go, go. Fun facts. flipping heck right okay well th- that aside um <laughs> you've got um 23 year old kiwi from Dunedin's but then there's a link, and you click on that link, and it takes you to a rather fancy Dunedin um, Instagram pro. And it's what a cool! Oh, they're great, aren't they? And then, and then you're you're right at my alley right now. I love that page. It's a really good page. And if you just if you're into New Zealand or just into wonderful places, follow them. I'm gonna I'm gonna spell it out. It's at d u n e d i double n z. And Dunedin. Dunedin Dunedin. has the best best marketing campaign. It's quite like a self-deprecating style of humour because Dunedin's a bit of like an unassuming place. People don't realise how good it is. But the marketing campaign is it's a really good plan D. And then they have some really funny graphics. Like there's this picture of a a painting at an art gallery and it says – it's not London, but we have some of their stuff. So, like, some of, the, <laughs> some of the graphics are really funny. Like, you have to be there, but I would recommend going to check them out. Yeah, I can't find them right now, but there's been some quite interesting quotes um, from famous people who visited, and they weren't overly kind about Dunedin, to be honest with you. No, that's, uh, that's a bit unfortunate. Uh, but, but in a, but but in need a, to take them on a tour. Yeah, but I think things have changed. These quotes are from a long time ago, but they're generally, I think it's, um, I think it references what, what you just talked about. But anyway, let, let's crack on with the quiz um, because it does look like a very, very cool place to go. So we'll st- we'll kick off as we normally do with quizzes with question number one. Ooh, I'm okay. nervous. Okay, um, the University of Ot- Otago, 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 uh, in- Indonesia, is the oldest, as you probably know, in New Zealand. But Ella, my oh, yeah. question to yeah, mm. but <laughs> when when was it founded? It's a multiple choice, so don't okay. worry. 
Um, so the Otago um, University is the oldest in New Zealand. When was it founded? Was it A, 1860, B, 1869, C, 1878, or D, 1888? Oh, four, qu- four um, multi-choice answers, not three. Yeah. No, I always Ooh, go for okay. four. Yeah. On the chase, but, they have three, so this is quite challenging. They? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It just gives you another another line of inquiry. Yeah. So it it gives you another fullback, but also it decreases the odds of guessing correctly. <laughs> See what you've done there. <laughs> that's that's very sneaky. Um, I think I would go for. I think I'd go for C. Was it 1878? It was 1878. Is that your final answer? Oh, you don't say. You don't say. <laughs> you're not. You're not very good at uh, keeping a straight, what? straight face, not giving anything away. Um, mm. Okay, then maybe I'm going to change. Then thing is, I don't. I don't know how it would be much earlier than that because New Zealand's not that old a country, you know. It's not um, very old. It's a young country. Yeah. Okay, maybe I go for B then. Let's correct, Mundo. It's yeah, correct. They got education set up early, didn't they? <laughs> they did indeed. 1869 was when the wow, University they didn't of Otago. So, um, so well done. So you're 100% so far. That takes Ooh. us on uh, quite nicely to a more contemporary question. Question number two. Um, this place you might know, you might not. Um, the Morning Magpie Cafe. Oh, I love it there. <laughs> on, on, there we go. On Stewart Street has a dog. Uh, a Sharpie dog on their Instagram oh. landing page, um, which I, I, I imagine to be a pet of the owners. But yes. my question to you... Oh, what's the Ella, name? Ella, it's, it's not the name of the dog, although you get a bonus point if you get that right, although I've got no way of checking that and verifying it for this exact for this test. But my question to you is how much is... A cinnamon scroll. No. Um... Kimchi, scrambled eggs, lemon rocket, <laughs> house pickles on organic sourdough. Okay. I think I've <laughs> heard this before. <laughs> okay, so this is the question. Is it 1850? Ooh. Quick. 1950, obviously New Zealand dollars. 2050, mm. New Zealand dollars. Or 2150? Oh. So kimchi, scrambled question. eggs, lemon rocket, which sounds amazing. House pickles on organic mm. sourdough. Yeah, I, def- I think I've definitely had this one before. And inflation okay. has hit New Zealand cafes quite hard. So I think yes. I'm going to go for, oh, it'll either be surprisingly cheap or the, the most expensive one. Um, this sounds like a bit more of their, <laughs> their upper class sort of higher level offering. I think I'm going to go for the 21. It's unfortunately 2050 is the is the price. Oh, so it's okay. three quarters of the way through, but you were you were almost in the right ballpark. Mm. But essentially, essentially not. Do you know the name of the dog for a bonus point? No, my parents would kill me. It's like on the tip of my tongue. I feel I feel terrible that I've forgotten the name of the dog. It's such a cute dog. I've got like I can just picture the dog in my head as well. It's got like a really funny name, like. Simon or Murray or it's like or Brian. Or it's, it's got it's got like a really serious name, which is why I like it even more. I just can't think what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's strange because I, I, I to... find out for me. Find out for me, and uh, and we can just drop it into the end of the pod. You can send me a can voice memo. Right or something. I'm going to look it yeah, up. Yeah, right go now. for it. Uh, go for it. I don't know how you find that out, but um, yeah. Uh, oh, we'll, oh, it's we'll... John. It's John. I swear it's John. John, sure the strong. dog. Oh I my think God, it's that's John. That's very strange. Okay, well, John, the dog. <laughs> there you go. That's. I'm. We're gonna. I'm gonna tentatively give you an extra point there. So technically, so oh, thank you. Okay, so you you're 100. Although, it, it, anyway, let's move on uh, rather rapidly to question number three. 
Okay. Good promo for Morning Magpie, though. I know, no, but I just, I just like, I think I, I do like doing questions on cafes to really get a sense of how local, in inverted commas, you really are. So well done. Um, okay, <laughs> question three. Um, the Dunedin coat of arms features two oh. figures standing either side of a shield, uh, and the shield depicts a castle, a boat, a ram's head, and Ooh. what else? Is it two trees, okay. two apples? Two Ooh. hay bales or two flowers. So the coat of arms, two figures standing either side of a shield. On the shield, uh, which is essentially the Dunedin flag, actually. So the, the image on the we shield have a flag. on the coat of You have a flag. Wow. You have a flag. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've done a deep dive into your, 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 your contemporary history. That's excellent. Um, yeah. So the, the shield depicts a castle, a boat, a ram's head, and what else? Two trees, Ooh. two apples, two hay bales, or two flowers. Oh, oh! I have no idea. Um, probably not hay bales. I wouldn't think. That's a bit, bit too rustic for a uh, coat of arms. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know? You do when you said too rustic for a coat. You do coat of arms are quite old, so that they, they generally are rustic. Uh, I, I would say. Mm. <laughs> do you know what? Right now, seeing as I had the ability to look up the name of the dog, I'm really resisting the urge to just look Please up a picture do. right now. But that's that's not okay. That's cheating, Ella. Don't no. do that. No. Uh, by um, the way, we just had. Uh, by the way, Niles just uh, messaged me using WhatsApp, and he said, um, "If you did, you look the dog up." I looked up a picture of it, and then as soon as I saw the picture, I was like, it's that's, John. That doesn't so count I, then. So, okay, we're only going to give you half a point, but that's fine if, oh. if you didn't look up. It's, yeah, so that's fine. Okay. So, I'm going to so go fine. with trees. Let, let's, move this, let's move this on. I'm going with trees. Yeah. It's two hay bales. Oh, what? <laughs> yes, it is two hay bales. Oh, I feel stupid now. Well, I'm like one of those the, people on the quiz TV shows that immediately discounts something, and then it ends up being the answer. Oh. I, I, one of my big bugbears on quizzes on telly is when mm. somebody gets asked something and they say, well, I wasn't born then, or this, I'm not really interested in that. You're like, why on earth have you come onto a quiz show on the television if you don't know random stuff? <laughs> oh, I can't. Anyway, sorry. I got quite angry then because I, I, I did that. Does listen. Thank you. Thanks, Niall. Round of applause there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you a bonus question here on, on this, the coat of arms. Okay. okay. The little castle on Lanark the shield... Castle. Yeah, there's a. It, no, no. Where is the castle? It's from what city in the world? It's not Lana Castle. So the, oh, the, oh, from the, Edinburgh. From Edinburgh. It is. That's a, well done. <laughs> yeah. How do you know that? Because Edinburgh is the um, sister city of Dunedin, and Dunedin is like modelled off Edinburgh. There we go. And also, as another little beautiful segue, oh, I really want to go to Edinburgh. Yeah, but just, Niall has moved. To Edinburgh, that's another round of applause. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it's just giving you a bonus point as well. So, so many <laughs> connections. So many Niall connections. would love to need them then. He, well, he would. Maybe maybe you could. You guys could do like an, a weird exchange trip, um, <laughs> like a quiz exchange trip. Anyway, more of that later. We've got one more question. Okay, another Ooh. round of applause. This is, this is, we've got a really, really active uh, studio audience today, I can tell you. Right. Cue the question. after. Final question on the Dunedin quiz. Who are the Otago Nuggets? A basketball team. You need to try harder. I, I did try harder with the, with, the, with the hay bales and everything else. That's, yeah, that that's was quite good. Uh, so you've got that right. Are they a rugby union team, a hockey team, a basketball team, or a table tennis team? 
they are a basketball genius. So well done. Why wouldn't so, I know that? Dunedin's very like interconnected city. Like everyone knows everyone's business. Like I know I know what's happening in the city. You probably can't surprise me with much. Well, I clearly didn't on that one. No. Um, I, I just I, one of my favourite beige foods is nuggets, and I just I, I'm a big fan of chicken nuggets, vegan nuggets, just any can nugget. I, really. Can I tell you the history behind the use of the term nugget? Um, yes, if you gold, want to. Yes, gold, gold nuggets. <laughs> okay, go on then. Gold, gold mining, like yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just so not McDonald's style. Not McDonald's style. No. By the way, you've got. Um, 5.5 out of 5. So you're the first person, I think, in in Matt Stevens' Sigma Sports Unplugged history to score more points than were actually available. So well done. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, groundbreaking stuff. Groundbreaking stuff, indeed. Um, that, just, that just highlights my dedication to Dunedin, and I think it really cements my place as an unofficial ambassador. I think, well, you did say, you you did stick your neck out and say, ahead of the quiz, I'm a, t- unofficially a Dunedin ambassador. So I think you've done Points yourself for proud confidence. Yeah. So when your pro career is over um, and, you, and you don't decide to be a DS, I think you could be a, a representative and, or, or, or work in the local museum or something like that or, or something even bigger. Just represent Dunedin <laughs> on a global so scale. I think so too, yeah. yeah. Um, I can raise, to, I can wave that flag around. You definitely can, um, and a flag that you now know um, the logo of exactly. Yeah. Um, we don't give prizes for the the uh, the hometown quiz, but if you were, what what's the weirdest prize you've ever won in cycling? Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, you do get some fairly rogue spot prizes at yeah. races in New Zealand. I okay, do go on, give us a give one, us a rogue spot prize then. One race I did in Central Otago. It's quite a um, big stone fruit region. It's not that exciting, but I got a really nice um, hamper of stone fruit, so like peaches, apricots. Uh, yeah, okay. it sorted me out for the week. That was quite nice. Um, okay. I think. Oh, at the same race, but the year before, I won the major spot prize, which was like a tour in France, a cycling tour. And this wow. this was before this was before I'd won the Zwift Academy, um, and I'd never been to Europe before, so I don't know what I did with that. But yeah, it was sort of like one of those prizes that you give somebody fully expecting it not to ever be used. So right. they sort of stitched me up a bit there. But yeah, I can't really think of anything else. No, I just, I've, I've, I've just, I've, I've, I think I've mentioned this in the pod before. I've won some straight. I won a shower once in a junior race, <laughs> an electric shower, um, and, and then, and then I think, and then my my, my favourite prize ever. Well, I have mentioned it before, but I do love mentioning it. Is a lettuce. I won a lettuce once. Um, oh, lovely! A, for an intermediate sprint, um, oh. and uh, and in the same race, and I do. I'm going to dig it out. Actually, the same race, the podium. Um, and you can imagine it was a, low, a small local race. The podium mm. was was the organisers' stepladder. Um, <laughs> that was that was quite interesting. And I was third in the race, and I, so I just because the stepladder was really small, and if we all stood on it, it probably would have collapsed. Um, so I just all I could do was put my my foot on the on the lowest rung of the ladder, um, and that and that was. The You'd podium. have to be tall if you won then to get your leg right up there, get your knee. Well, you, well, no, the guy that won actually clambered up. And well, he stood was on the to top bit. Yeah, he was he was allowed to stand up there. Then the other bloke stood on the second second or third rung and was cl- holding his legs in case he fell off. Then there was just no room left for me. And then yeah, I was fair just enough. stood. But I do have. And you then can in, be the support the, at the bottom. And then there was a picture, and in the back was just a ploughed field, uh, and the organizer. Um, with a comb over hairdo with his hair blowing in the breeze. It's such a weird photo. I'll have to dig it out anyway. Um, but 
before this, this is rattled along. Um, we've waffled on quite nicely. But what I'd like to know, because uh, it's not something I've asked, how did you first get into to bike riding? I know it's, it's your family are, are quite outdoory types, and most people in New Zealand yeah. are, aren't they? Uh, but what was your first foray in, in, into riding? Oh, I think that's quite a generalisation if you say that most people in New Zealand are outdoorsy. There are some quite sedentary people in New Zealand. Don't get me oh, wrong. <laughs> But, you know, when you like wander down the street of a town and you're like, wow, everyone looks really fit and like they do stuff. You don't Mm. really get that in New Zealand. Like you don't often see overweight people in Spain. But in New Zealand, let's just say there's, yeah, higher percentage of that sort of stuff going on. But anyway, what was I? Just just be careful if you're going to be an ambassador for Dunedin. That's true. That's true. But um, (laughs) yes, my parents, my parents are sporty anyway. Um, they got me into doing all sorts of sports, really, because they did multi-sport events and my dad liked to do running races. Both of them did um, Iron Distance Triathlon and then we have oh, wow. a really big multi-sport event in New Zealand called the Coast to Coast. So yeah. they both did that and naturally I just followed what they were doing. So I started off running because I wanted to win my school cross-country. So I did that, won it every single year. And then from there, my mum got me a little road bike. So I started going out cycling with her and then they had school's triathlons on. So I did the school's triathlons and I got into triathlon. And then, yeah, that's just how I started really. And then when I joined my first high school, they had a school cycling team. So every Wednesday you'd finish school um, a bit earlier and then they had a regional like competition for all sorts of sports on so I, I chose cycling and then I'd go every Wednesday to the after school cycling competition that was on and that's how I sort of got into road racing I started off with um eight kilometer road races so yeah it was <laughs> quite meaty stuff so, so looking forward um to the next chapter of, of your f- firstly you want to get this um Von Two challenge out of the way but what yes, sort of rider? yeah yeah first things what sort of rider are you then you, you clearly revel in the client but you see me equally at home um and a lot of your program has been in Belgium just looking back through the races um over the last couple of years taking into account of course your injuries and also the fact that you were riding well you're on a team through COVID so it's been quite a disruptive couple of years but what if you had to categorize yourself Ella uh, as mm. a rider and also off the back of that what would you like to achieve in, in your career? What objectives do you have? It's, it's a bit of a two-headed question. So what sort of rider do you classify yourself as? Or if you, and, and what, based on that, what, do you, what would you like to achieve um, in your career? Yeah, I sort of see myself as, I, I'm a bit of an all-rounder. I'd probably describe myself as a four-wheel drive, like all-wheel drive. Okay. I, right. can, I can do everything. Um, except for sprinting, really. I'm just not punchy at all. So that sort of limits my opportunities to be able to to win a race. I think I'm to, in order to win a race, it would be more of an opportunist move or a breakaway. Um, so I'm not like a natural-born winner because my physiology just doesn't allow for that. Sure. But then, yeah, I really like to, to do – like I'm quite a diesel – so I like to do time trials, but at the moment, well, more and more um, aerodynamics and position and that sort of stuff is playing an increasing role in determining the outcome of time trials. And I'm a little yeah, bit behind when it comes to that sort of stuff. So that's something that I'd like to work on in the future and actually be able to get some of the power I have out on the TT bike. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I also like climbs, but I'm not 
a really light rider. So I'm not a pure climber, but when I'm fit and I have the power then I can get myself over most of the climbs, just not when it's like a pure climb fest. Uh, and then I like to descend. I like oh, I like it when the when the races are quite attri- attritional and tough. Yeah. When people just slowly drop like flies over time. That's my sort of race when you just have to hang in there and be stubborn and just keep going. Um, but I sort of in the future, I see myself as playing more of just a really strong team domestique role and just being able to be there and do whatever's needed, do all sorts of races because I think – uh, I can I can do like quite a variety of different races. Like yeah. earlier in the year before I was injured, I was doing quite a I did quite a few races in Belgium and the Netherlands, and then I went and did um, Trofeo Binder in Italy, which was quite a climby race in comparison. So I'm able to mix and match. I'm quite versatile. So I'm hoping that versatility um, for races and different roles becomes um, more of my strength. But yeah, I'd really like to to um, to just become like an all round rider, really, and just be yeah. a strong domestique, versatile, and then have my opportunities when they arise. But I accept the fact that yeah, my physiology doesn't lend myself to to being able to win a sprint or being able to attack on a punchy climb because I just don't have that in me. Yeah, I'd like to work I mean, on it. Though. Yeah, I mean, it's I think. I mean, you have. I mean, you have won. You've you won the TT Championships in New Zealand, and then you won a stage of the Herald Sun Tour a couple of years ago, didn't you? On a, on what was clearly an enormously attritional day. Um, mm. But I think, I mean, looking at looking at the women's peloton and and look, there are riders who can specialise or, or are very good climbers, exceptionally good time trialers, sprinters, but versatility is the key isn't it quite clearly and especially the new riders that are coming through in both men's and women's sport uh, scene are generally can can do it all and i think the key to success or having a value um is to be versatile and, and i think being in being a versatile rider um you fear less uh, and also you have more opportunity and, and i and i would imagine um being somebody that's particularly versatile just make cycling more uh, more intriguing, more exciting a proposition than just specialising one thing. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but somebody like you, it just gives you far more opportunities and far more breadth. So looking forward, you must be quite excited, especially given the amount of races that there are now and the amount of new races that are coming online for women. Yeah, it's particularly exciting because there doesn't seem to be any race that's truly off limits for me. Because sure. I can sort of get myself around anything. I may not be the best at any particular aspect, but the all-round um, nature of my physiology means that, yeah, I can do a bit of everything. But then I also think that in the men's um, peloton previously, there's been this spe- specialization where you've got your climbers, you've got your sprinters, and in the women's peloton we're starting to see that, but now there's like this new breed of rider when they can, where they can do absolutely everything, but they can do it really well, like a wow yeah. fan art. So yeah. then the specialization sort of becomes redundant because these people can do absolutely it's everything crazy, isn't it? and they're yeah. really good at everything. Whereas I'm just like, I can just do everything to a good level, except yeah. for sprinting, which is yeah a bit of an issue because I'd really love to have a punch to be able to actually get out of corn as well and respond to attacks, but it's a work in progress. Hopefully it comes with a bit of time and a bit of focus on it. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's, you, you know the type of rider you all have, that there are certain limitations within anybody's physiology, but there are also weaknesses that you can work on and make a big difference. And I'm sure if you focus on those and, and if you're aware of them, quite often focusing on your weakness can help you in other areas as well. It's really, it's, um, it, is, it is quite interesting. Uh, sorry, there's a strange, a strange noise. Oh. Really sorry about this. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. And I'm, um, as a listener to the pod, you might know what's just happened. The, um, the <laughs> nothing the, is the, surprising with the Matt yeah, Stevens podcast. I'm, I'm so yeah, so sorry about that. The supercomputer, the nineteen, the late nineteen sixties supercomputer installed in my office has kicked off. The red light's gone. I've just walked across the room. Well, actually, I didn't walk across the room. I slid my um, my slickly oiled. Uh, casters across the across the floor, torn off this slip to get you a random question, which I've not seen before. Um, right. Okay. Well, this is going to wrap up the pod. So it's, it's quite a big ending, really. Um, so, okay. Final question um, on the random question generator. If you could go back in time, Ella, to become Ooh, the inventor yes. of something, okay, what would it be? So if you could go back in time to be the inventor of something, what would it be? What would you be most proud or eager to have invented? Wow. Yeah, it's quite, <laughs> that that's is quite a, a massive big, question. It's a big one. It's a big one. Where does big. one start? I think we should narrow it down to a category or something. Oh. What, you, you can do that yourself. I mean, what type? Of, what What are you into? What What type of person are you? What would what do you think you possibly could have invented? Do We've you think gone Oh, yeah, true. We've gone full I, circle I think, in this podcast. I, because... can, I, can I help you out on this? Okay, yes. I think you you might... Have, uh, are we going back now? I reckon middle ages. I think you might have been somebody who might have invented biscuits. <laughs> I'm thinking something quite left field as well. We've, <laughs> gone, we've gone full circle because I'm looking around my apartment again now, but for inspiration as to what I could have invented. I think some like rogue cooking appliance, maybe like cooking <laughs> okay. tool, like a toaster, or I don't know, something that's just become like a staple of people's lives. But it's quite Actually, unassuming. But you wouldn't like live without it. Maybe yeah, a, so, no, not a microwave. That's too complicated for me. Something no. just that's just simple but effective. You know, like a garlic crusher or something. Oh, or, or a corkscrew. Yeah. True. Nice. True. I mean, yeah. uh, what you've got to realise it. I mean, one somebody looks up corkscrew garlic press, uh, invented by Ella Harris in in fourteen <laughs> in fourteen twenty one. Um, but some, but, but then you live. I might think you might have lived in Italy. You might have you might have been a neighbour of Leonardo da Vinci or something like that, inspired by the Renaissance or something like that. But or Ella Harris um, is is understood to have invented biscuits, but it's a bit, bit more general because other people would possibly have invented biscuits at the same time. So, yeah, um, I think that's quite a controversial one. It's like the pavlova, isn't it? Yeah. Who, who invented the pavlova? Maybe like a spatula. Spatulas are very handy in the kitchen. I'm just thinking of okay. things that I, I like that. So I, I can't really go without. What we'll get Niall to do then, because um, he's quite a creative type, is is create a Wikipedia page. Uh, Ella Harris, a Zwift Academy winner, inventor of the spatula. <laughs> uh, in in I don't know because it's. Mm, oh, I love that. Had, yeah. Yeah, and when Taking do you reckon credit the spatula? For something else. Yeah, I'm just trying to think when the spatula would have been invented. What year do you reckon? Because baking's been around for years. Yeah, but maybe true. cakes a little bit late. I reckon. I reckon something like. Should we know. guess and then we can look back? Yeah, it's what 17, 17, 1780? Oh, 1782? you think that early? 
Like, I think well, there would have been lots of tools that people were using to have the mm. same function as the spatula, but it's whether they were actually called a spatula. And where did the name even come from? That's another question. Spatula. Okay. It's quite well, a bizarre well, well, word, isn't it? It's quite, I quite like it. Oh, oh, here we go. What? Have you looked it up? No. Niall's just sent a little message. Has he? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you got one as well? Horace, Horace Spatula invented it in, nine, in 1798 as an invention for killing the common housefly. The word spatula has been in use since 1525 and often refers to various small instruments with a broad, flat, flexible blade. Wow. Flipping egg. I tell you what, this has been an amazing podcast. We've got the history of the spatula. Um, uh, I think that might be my, my And we've my sung the praises of Dunedin. We have indeed. Well, Ella, I think that's a lovely way to wrap things up, actually. Uh, we now, I, I, I hope that our listeners have enjoyed themselves, become more educated about yourself, about Girona, um, uh, about Dunedin, and, and more importantly, about um, you potentially in a past life having invented that humble kitchen um, <laughs> implement. But uh, uh, Ella, honestly, in all seriousness, it's been a lot of fun. This time has, has gone so, so quickly, which is, which is always a good sign. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you take care of yourself and uh, we'll catch up with you very, very soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's been a blast. What a lot of fun it was to chat with Ella. It always is, to be perfectly honest with you, and she really is one to watch in the coming years. And I've got high hopes for in the future, both as a pro cyclist and as an unofficial ambassador of Dunedin. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you, as ever, for listening. Don't forget to like, follow and rate the pod, and maybe give it a little review if you feel like it. And why not recommend it to anyone who lowers carrier bags of who knows what from their balcony, in plain sight of their neighbours. Don't forget, if you have any questions, comments, or have a story to share, please do get in touch. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com. That's podcast at sigmasports.com. Now get this, news just in. We also have a brand new burner phone. You could be on the podcast. So just send a voice note with your question or comment on WhatsApp to this number. For international listeners, it's plus four four triple seven eight three two three two six eight. That's plus four four triple seven eight three two three two six eight. Or from the UK, it's zero triple seven eight three two three two six eight. That's zero triple seven eight three two three two six eight. You can send us anything, but please don't send any pictures because it's a Nokia thirty two ten. And don't forget to tell us your name so we can give you a shout out too. Finally, a massive thanks again to Ella for joining us on the podcast today. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Oh, wow, you're still here. Well, here is your reward as a loyal listener. The full, unabridged, unedited, nine-minute voice memo from Ella. Enjoy. Hi, Matt. I'm just filling you in on what I've been up to since we recorded this podcast. So shortly after, I went to Montfontu and I survived. I got up there actually pretty well. I think I finished in a respectable position. I did my teamwork. Well, I tried my best anyway. And then at the bottom of Montfontu... I said see you later to the peloton and chugged my way up and I was picking off a few people towards the top uh, and I think I finished in the, the top half of the race. So 
I think the people behind me, they probably need to take a good hard look at themselves because I wasn't very fit. I only had six weeks training under my belts. <laughs> so maybe that says says a bit about the competition in the race. Anyway, then after that, I went to Tour de Suisse, which comprised of a very hilly criterium, a TT, and then two road stages. I wasn't prepared to fly for position too much in the criterium, which was definitely required if you wanted to hang in the main peloton because the course was quite technical and it was very strung out at times. So I found myself in the quite large groupetto, which I was completely fine about. And then the next morning, I had the most horrific experience of my life in the time trial. It was just awful. It was one of the worst time trials I've ever done. I went out all guns blazing, but then unfortunately, I didn't quite have the engine to match my my ambitious power that I set off at. I think I was going at my normal speed pre-injury and I just died a million deaths and it was just 20 Ks of suffering. And I've never suffered so much to finish in such a bad position. Anyway, after that, it was on to the two road stages and we had some really good team plans for those and they worked out well. One included a team time trial for 50 kilometers on the front of the peloton and that was a whole lot of fun. After I got back from Tour de Suisse, had a few days easy, and I actually did a couple of Spanish club races just because I wanted to get a little bit more racing in the legs. So I signed up for these two races, a criterium and a road race near Barcelona, and it wasn't until quite close to the event that I discovered that I was actually racing with the junior men as the elite women go with the under 19 men. So lining up on the start line for this criterium, I was a little bit nervous and quite apprehensive because as far as I'm concerned, junior men should be full of testosterone and quite reckless and also very strong. But I survived that criterium quite nicely. I hung into the peloton and they took the corners really slowly actually. So it was a relatively safe and enjoyable event. And then the next day I did a road race and it was quite cool experiencing a local Spanish club race, but with full road closures and all the police were fully out in force. So we went around this 100 kilometer hilly circuit with lots of climbs, lots of twisty descents. So it was really good training. And then after I got back from those races, I had a couple of days in Girona and then I was altitude training in Andorra for three weeks. So I did some really hard sessions up there, did some solid mahi or work as we would say in New Zealand. And one of the sessions off the top of my head was nine times three minutes VO2. So that was rather horrendous, but I got it done and I left altitude feeling very sluggish and very slow when I came back down to sea level. I was doing a bit of motor pacing and the fast twitch muscle fibers, they just didn't want to work, which is normally my weakness anyway, the accelerating and the fast twitch stuff. But I did some motor pacing, I got it done. And then I was off to the Commonwealth Games, which was a wicked experience. I think the race was actually a small part of the the whole overall experience. I had five days in the village. I was just doing the road race. And it was like a home away from home in the New Zealand area. The staff were so friendly and they brought lots of New Zealand goodies from home. So I was able to indulge in a few Kiwi treats including pineapple lumps, jet planes, my favourites. And then I also just had a good time hanging out with 
a few of the New Zealand athletes and also some of the cyclists from other nations that were also there. After the road race, Alice Barnes and I, we had a couple of games of um, giant Jenga in the athletes' village, and I may or may not have bruised her foot, but that's another story. That's that's another story for another day. I also enjoyed the food buff. I also enjoyed the uh, buffet at breakfast, lunch, and dinner very much indeed. But the Caribbean section was rather spicy. And then the actual race was good as well. Um, we tried our best, the New Zealand team, to split things up and make it exciting, but the Australians weren't having a bar of it. They were destined for a sprint. Regardless if they had an Australian in the breakaway or not, they were chasing everything down. So our attacks and our breakaway attempts went to no avail, unfortunately, and it came down to a massive bunch sprint. But we tried our best and it was good training anyway. I needed some openers in the legs because I was still feeling pretty sluggish and didn't have much get up and go to do my attacks, but I tried anyway. So that's the main thing. God loves a trier. And then the next day it was a one, we started traveling at 1.30 um, because we were go. Yeah, we were going to tour of Scandinavia, so we started travelling at 1.30 in the afternoon and we didn't get to Copenhagen until 2am in the morning. And then 2pm that day, we started racing tour of Scandinavia. So understandably, I wasn't feeling the greatest and when you're not feeling good, you tend to get into quite a, a, negative, a negative spiral. Things just slowly go downhill and it's very hard to bring it back because if you're not feeling so good then you find yourself at the back of the peloton but then you're not really feeling good enough to move yourself back up again so then your mindset becomes quite negative as well and you end up just in a bit of a slump at the back of the peloton but you can't move up because you seemingly don't have the energy physically or mentally and being at the back is not fun either being on the being at the front and being at the forefoot of races is far more motivating and inspiring than just seeing a long line of people stringing out around corners in front of you for 100 meters or so. So that wasn't a great stage for me, but then for the following stages, I really found that my fitness and my form was just growing by the day, I think. I was able to respond to attacks a lot more easily. It was like my legs were opening up and I was starting to activate my fast twitch muscle fibers again. So that was exciting and the whole week was really good training. We won't mention the food poisoning that I got at the buffet from the chicken stew, which meant that before stage five, I'd been up since 4am and had been to the toilet five times between the start, well, between 4am and the start at 9am. So that wasn't ideal, but luckily a special tablet uh, solved my issues and meant that the next day I was just really blocked up. But maybe that's too much information. Um, so yeah, from now on, well, from here, I am... What am I doing? Yeah, so I finished the tour of Scandinavia and I've now, I'm now having a few rest days and then next week I'll do a 1.1 race in France. I would say the name, but I cannot pronounce it. And then on the weekend I will be doing GP Plouay, which is a world tour race. And then after that I will be going to the Netherlands for the Simac Ladies Tour, which was rather difficult last year. It was a tough tour, so I should be in for a solid week there. And afterwards, it will be a couple of weeks 
training, I guess, before I either do the World Championships. Um, I'm selected for the World Championships in Wollongong, so that would be a really cool event to do, but unfortunately it's self-funded for New Zealanders, so I'm looking at 4,000 euros at least, so I'm not entirely sure if I want to spend that. We shall see. I'll either be there or I won't. If I'm not there, I will have bought a car or done something else with that $4,000. Anyway... There's also the Gravel World Championships in October, so I have my eye on that as well. So if I don't do the Road Worlds, then I might do the Gravel Worlds, or I might just do both. We shall see, but as far as I'm concerned, the season is still long, so I'm looking forward to getting stuck into a few more races and making up for lost time, because I seem to be on quite positive trajectory right now, so I'm looking forward to getting a bit more fitness under the belts and really making the most of these next few races coming up. Cheers.